you're listening to a Spark of Genius production. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to a Spark of Genius Flesh and Blood production. Next episode in Back to Basics, episode three. Uh, if you haven't watched the other two, I highly recommend them. We got the Defending with Demos, and we have the, uh, the Deck Construction, the CC Deck Construction. Yeah. And I think the reason we're doing this video next is really to tie well with that deck construction CC video. As well, we'll have a link to a, a really well-written article that Yuki wrote for Red Riot Games. And I highly recommend you both watch the video and then read the article. And then you'll have a really good grasp on how you can go about building a classic constructed deck for the upcoming ProQuest season. And so once you're done building your deck, you then come to this video and figuring out, you know, how you want to actually, uh, how you actually want to use it. And so we have Yuki on as our special guest for today, a bit of a mainstay on the channel because everyone loves Yuki. I mean, it's just common knowledge here. And so we have Yuki back for our, uh, for our back to basics video. Say hi, Yuki. Say hi to the fans. Hey everyone. Pleasure to be on as always. I'm excited about this topic. I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of good, stuff. a lot of, a lot of good, a lot of good topics in this topic, a lot of subtopics. Uh, and I'm joined always by my co-creator, co-commentator, co-compatriot, Mr. Rob. Uh, hey everybody and so we're gonna jump right in here with uh, a very a very like overarching kind of idea which yuki actually brought up i'm not gonna take any credit for this one guys this is this was this was yuki's idea which is about whenever you start uh preparing for a big event uh be it pro quest um pro tour calling what have you you need to time is a finite resource so think of time as a resource just like you think of your life and flesh and blood as a resource you only have so much of it, right? People have different commitments. People have families, jobs, what have you. There is only so much time you can use towards different facets of the actual tournament preparation. It's not just prepping your deck, but it's prepping your entire experience. As weird as that sounds, at least that's how I see it. And so setting up expectations is a kind of key pillar that people should be thinking about when entering a really big event especially a long event, because uh, for a lot of people that have played games like Magic the Gathering and uh, even Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, things like that, or even bigger tournaments, these are very, very long tournaments that takes a certain amount of conditioning to be able to figure out what you need to be doing during these tournaments to stay fresh, to stay on your toes, especially for things like uh, for like the Canadian Nationals or any national championships that we had uh, prior. This event is nine rounds on day one and yep. six rounds if you want to win the event on day two, meaning you're playing between... Um, Probably 12 between and 15 playing. hours, roughly. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're playing You're playing a lot of hours, and these are these are like full-fledged full, uh, full games here. And so I think conditioning is also a very big part of these tournaments, making sure you eat, making sure you drink. It sounds super basic, but like nobody thinks about it when you get that headache at like 4 p.m. on like when you start the event. Even when I was at the Canadian Nationals, as like a preset, I remember we didn't eat. We didn't start eating lunch until like I think it was like after one thirty or two. No, on day no, one? no. It was, it was later than that. Not even. It was like three, three thirty. Oh, really? It was really? like three, three thirty. No breaks. No coffee. No nothing. Like they yeah. gave us the pizza, which is fine. I'm not. I'm not trying to like. That's what shit I was. On them or anything like <laughs> yeah, that. the pizza. Yeah. But like, if you're not prepared for like things to go wrong, like a non-normal lunch hour or things like that, you will tank you the rest of your day. Like. You, you will you will struggle. Your brain will just stop functioning mm -hmm. correctly. Mm -hmm. And this happens to everyone. And so conditioning is a big part of it. And I think, I mean, Yuki played the whole thing because she eventually just won. So I think Yuki would be a great person to ask about 
how how do you budget your time generally? Do you do you set up expectations at the beginning and stick by them? How kind of rigid are they? I'm curious uh, what what you kind of think your template is. Yeah, so going into things, I usually try and kind of take an inventory of how much time I have. Um, so for example, ProQuest is coming up. It's about a month out, at least until the start of ProQuest. Um, so right now I have a testing team. We meet twice a week for, you know, get about three games, uh, three games each session. So that's like, you know, there's four sessions, or sorry, four weeks, that's eight sessions, three games, that's 24 matches. Um, so you can kind of trick yourself and be like, well, I have a whole month to prepare, but realistically it's 24 games. Mm. Half those games I'm going to be helping people test, you know, whatever gauntlet deck they want to be playing against. So like realistically, I, I kind of have 12 games with my testing group where I can really dig into matchups that I want to do. And, and that's that's not a lot, right? Like, that's a lot less than it sounds initially. Mm -hmm. So I think you need to yeah. kind of figure out, like, where do I want to spend that time? Maybe that Leviah matchup is, you know, something that I can just think about in my head and sort of rely on my theory, and then I can focus in on whatever I'm expecting, whether that's, you know, like Bravo or Prism or Viscerai or, or whoever, right? But really kind of spending that wisely. Um, in terms of expectations, I usually try and like I usually have a goal like I would like to top eight, but my biggest my biggest goal going into event is um, just trying to play my best. And as long as I feel like I've made good decisions, I'll be happy because ultimately, like you need the right pairings, you need a lot of things to go your way. Yeah, there is some to... luck involved there, right? Just just yeah. a little just a little bit. A little bit. Just a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like like nobody wins an event without getting lucky, right? Like um, even my like my nationals win, I got I think I got quite fortunate to just dodge Ultim in, in the mm -hmm. top eight. Like, you know, had Demos won his uh, quarterfinals, I probably wouldn't be the national champion. So mm -hmm. like there's a lot of things that are out of your control and just focusing on what you can control I think is a great way to avoid kind of that disappointment and that burnout and fatigue. Yeah, that's good advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, and I agree with Eric that like when you're going into an event, I always like to have like something that I can eat, um, whether that's like you know muffin, granola bar, yeah, um, fruit, box of um, box of cereal, just a box <laughs> of Fruit Loops <laughs> at your station. <laughs> yeah, but you usually want to usually want to have something that you can eat and and lots of water and and like Eric said, just like making sure you're hydrated, making sure you're eating yeah. it. It really matters, and and ideally. Like even you might not feel hungry, but you want to make sure that you're you're doing that because sometimes by the time you realize you're you're thirsty or you're hungry, it's, it's too like, late by then. Yeah. Once you have hungry. once you once you have the headache yeah. and you don't have the Advil. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Your next the, hour is good. The headache's hard bad. to get rid of without the Advil. It's like it comes, but even if you drink after, it'll take some time to get to go away. So, gotta yeah, preemptively I, I, I prevent too, it. I too wish it were instant. Um, no, that's a fair point. I think that's very very important to. Uh, when when testing to actually stay within certain time restraints which kind of it sounds a little bit odd when you think about it like why would i be timing myself playing a deck but yeah. in reality if you're playing six rounds of cc and every single one of your games is going to time you're yeah. going to struggle a lot more than someone who's finishing their games in like 20 30 minutes why they get to go to the washroom they get to drink water on the side they get to run they get to walk around and scout opponents like this is this is actually like key time that you can use to help your next matchups you can sit there at top tables usually at most events and spectate from a distance you can know what they're playing you can get very valuable information and so it's actually quite nice to be able to uh prep with time constraints which is kind of the second mm -hmm. second subtopic i kind of just thought of 
really randomly here that I, I definitely didn't consider as much going in and it hurt me a little bit on the second half of CC when all my games were going to fatigue just because that's how the matchups, that's how that's what Gem was giving me and so that's what I had to play into. But I think that's also another consideration kind of going with your uh, prepping mm -hmm. your, your, your time. It's not just your time when you're prepping your deck, it's also your time when you're playing your match. And so I kind of, that's like two, two different sides of the same coin here. But I think rolling into the actual deck itself. So in Classic Constructed, um, in Classic Constructed, there's a couple ways that you can go about uh, prepping your deck, as, as Yuki already mentioned, with your testing partners, with your testing group, uh, playing games, playing matchups. It's uh, one way to, to kind of think about it. But I think there's also the kind of switching in cards, kind of teching for different matchups. So it's kind of it's kind of two. It's getting comfortable with your deck by putting a bunch of reps in and then fine tuning your deck with uh, a bunch of cards depending on the matchup, right? So I'll probably throw this to both Rob and Yuki. When you're looking at testing a particular CC, uh, prepping for a tournament, so you're, you're testing your deck, are there anything, any important kind of points in classic in a classic constructed tournament, say ProQuest for for instance, that are on your mind when you're actually uh, preparing and testing? Yeah, um, I mean, I could I could start with my my own <laughs> small input here, but. Um... Basically, you kind of want to get a scope of what decks you're going to struggle against, I think, uh, predominantly. Uh, your sideboard kind of does gravitate more heavily towards your tough matchups, I would say. Um, the ones that you have a good, you know, a good like 60% chance of winning, um, that's probably due to your core deck anyway. So your sideboard kind of is mostly geared towards your tough matchups. Um, there are a few matchups that you just can't sideboard against, um, just because... You know, either you just can't pack enough null rune for wizard, or it's just you just, you just take the L. Just yeah, take just take the L. The L. Like on. I think there are a few matchups where you just have to tell yourself I'm against it. I just got unlucky and can't do anything about it, right? So, um, that was my uh, my case for wizard. <laughs> so, um, I do think that you know focusing on the matchups that you um, at least can tech towards and uh, are more difficult for you make more sense, um, especially when it comes down to not just theory but actually needing to practice against you know certain certain lines or. Uh, you get a certain hand and you have to figure out, you know, like, if they do this, what should I do? So I think gameplay in those scenarios makes the most sense. Um, as you can mention before, the theory can be applied to certain decks that you kind of know what they're going to do in general, and there isn't much practice involved. Um, so in CC, I think the big consideration uh, that, you know, is differentiated from Blitz is that you have a sideboard and you have to kind of practice enough to get your sideboard right. And that's pretty much what I focus on the most. Uh, when I practice for for uh, yeah for tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. I think that um, when I'm when I'm working on that sideboard or when I'm tweaking things, I'm often trying to pay a close attention to like how I feel about the cards in my hand when I draw them, and like mm -hmm. especially if it's a card that I'm curious about. But but even just all my cards, I might go like, how how are these cards in my hand? Like, are they do I feel good when I draw them? I'm like, yes, I have, you know, three of a kind. That's amazing. Like, of course, that's mm -hmm. a good card. But, but sometimes you might be surprised. Like, you'll have this card and you just go, you know, like this is not, this is not great. Like, this is not Why the card is this that here? I want here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and if that's like one time and most of the time it's great, then then sure. But if if you keep drawing it and you keep going like, this is not what I want, that's a really good sign that like maybe you should be replacing that with another card. Um, and similarly, it kind of helps you identify those key cards, right? Like often there's a few 
key pieces in a matchup that, you know, like, if I'm against Ranger, maybe I should hold on to Command and Conquer and be willing to take even more damage to, to throw it back. Or if you're on Viscerai under control, like that, you know, the, the, the Rune Blood Barrier and the Read the Runes are, like, really key cards. Um, or, like, Bravo, like, often your Crippling Crush can be, like, a, a way to pivot and, and take tempo. So kind of looking for those recurring play patterns and, and those kind of, like, key points in the game where tempo shifts or where... Um, you kind of take over and, and what that looks like, I think, is is really some of the key things that I look for. Mm-hmm. And um, also identifying those key patterns helps you save time in the match as well, because you don't have to think as hard when they do come up, right? It's kind of like you got the reps and you know exactly what you need to block with and what you can play. Yeah, like, um, I guess a great example is lately I've been messing around with Viscerai a little bit and um, just knowing, like, what you're looking for when you're trying to go off with Sonata is huge. Like, yeah. in this mm-hmm. matchup, I want, like, minimum 12 rune chance. Um, you know, if I have a Mordred Tide, maybe I can get away with 10 because yeah. Mordred Tide's amazing. Um, obviously, I need the... Obviously, I need the Sonata, but maybe if I'm against Prism, I really want to make sure I have Rattle Bones so that I don't get you know, stonewalled by Arclight Sentinel, um, mm-hmm. or I want that non-attack to go with my creepers. You, there's like a really a specific hand that you're looking for often. Um, and it, it's the same for other decks, right? Like like Katsu has his, you know, surging, whelming combo line with like something to push it over the top. Like there's usually something you're looking for and knowing what that really good hand looks like kind of helps inform like, okay, this is a turn where I should probably be trying to take damage to, to get tempo back. To pivot, um, yeah. Yeah, you don't want to be going into the event and being like, "Well, what what are the best? What are what do my best hands look like?" I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, what are, what oh, are my this, lines? This hands yeah. okay. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, do do I keep this one? Like, you should know how good that hand is in the context of right. your deck and the matchup. Before. Having the numbers crunched beforehand helps a lot uh, to know what's your potential yeah. damage output. Because if you're looking at some damage coming to you, it's like, well, can this hand outpace them? Right. Um, it takes practice and it takes some memorization as well to be able to get to that point. Yeah, I think I think those are all really good points. I think we also touched on them in the defending episode where we were talking, where Demos was explaining like, That's right, okay, yeah. this card blocks for three, but how much can I come back with? When the actual like, numbers the come actual in. Value? Yeah. yeah, what what is the actual value of the card? And I think that's uh, actually that's, that's something I want to dive a bit deeper on. Um, I, I like to call it hand rating, which sounds a little bit weird, but like what I like to do in CC is I like to rate my hands and I like to rate the cards in my hands based on what they're good for, what matchup they are, and if they are core versus side uh core meaning you know a lot of different things to a lot of different people but like essentially the cards that never come out of the deck like if this is a card that's not supposed to be coming out of a deck and it feels kind of meh at the moment mm-hmm. maybe it's not a maybe it's not a core card right yeah and so for the tournament prep part uh what i like to do is not only in different matchups of course testing as many matchups as you reasonably can of course yeah as robin yuki mentioned Kato is is one of those like insta L's for just a lot of unless your your prism or something like that. It's it's usually just yeah. a hard matchup too. It's like really the justify... only matchup that you need more than one null rune really, uh, unless yeah, you want to be like, blocking I... the um, Rosetta. But you know that's pretty much yeah. the only condition. Yeah. But but even then, justifying like two three null rune uh, if if your if your equipment doesn't inherently already have arcane barrier is quite difficult to justify for like five Kano's in a big tournament or something like that. <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just a matter of like if Gem is unlucky enough to if you're unlucky enough the Gem just gives you the Kano then mm-hmm. 
You it just wasn't your it tournament. Like <laughs> it, it, it's happened to Better me. It's happened to time. other people. Sometimes yeah. Guy's just waiting around the corner and you can't stop. <laughs> Guy and, uh, and Mike. That, that's Gee exactly Mike. what happened to me in Nashville. Yeah. Oh, it, it happened. Guy and he just smushed me. Yeah. Like the, the, problem, the problem is it happened to me round three. And that's not what mm. I needed him to smush yeah. me. I needed him to smush me in round nine. Had to happen <laughs> later. Not, yeah. <laughs> um. Anyways, so like I, I definitely, when, when you're prepping, don't feel compelled to prep against every single matchup. There are yeah. so many heroes. The meta, Realistically, you can't now, do it. Yeah. yeah, the meta now is so varied, too. So it's like you can't really it's get true. through all of them. Uh, and so finally, kind of kind of looking at that, that hand rating comment, I think the other point that Yuki and Ron mentioned were knowing your attack lines. And going to time in a tournament feels really, really, really bad. It just feels kind of like a lot of the times you're sitting there, and I think attitude is kind of what i'm trying to get at here and so resetting yourself after like let's say you draw um it's because it's considered a double loss in fab so it's it's really kind of a bit heart-wrenching uh i had a draw i was actually 4-1 in the pro quest on the next day and i ended the tournament on a draw uh, actually no i had a draw kind of in the middle somewhere and that draw essentially bumped me out of top eight yeah. and it's it's a matter of like perspective so you need to understand if you happen to be prepping for a tournament and you keep going to time or you keep uh, you keep trying to get faster but it's just not working, you need to identify that earlier rather than later, depending on what deck you're playing. If you're a particularly uh, a player that has an affinity for a certain type of deck, like if you're a very good control player and then you're trying to learn this aggro deck to, to bring to a tournament, knowing your attack lines are a lot more important in an aggro deck than they are in a control deck. For because sure. your strategy is completely different and as a control player your time is taken on the defense whereas an aggro player your time is taken on the offense that that's mm -hmm. the main usage of time like a 75 i, I i'm putting random numbers out there but it's a yeah. majority you're close enough just based yeah. On, yeah like how you maximize your attack versus how you maximize your value for defense it's two very different things and so if you're bringing yourself to time a lot that's something you need to identify super early and figure out what is the source of that is it you don't know your attack lines as well as Yuki was mentioning. Is this hand good? Is this where I need to pivot? Or like Rob is mentioning, uh, is this like is this the card I'm bringing into the sideboard? Do I bring it in immediately and use it in this situation? Uh, you need to know that. You need to prep in a way that you know that kind of kind of immediately, really, because you really don't have time to waste in uh, in these big kind of tournaments. And that the other part that I want to add for CC in general before we move on is that the attitude is a big big factor in my mind especially when people lose round one that's it's it's so it's so gut-wrenching it's so yeah uh i i haven't um i think i've a lot i think i've lost a round one at some point maybe a Rhodes or something like that uh it's it's very very bad it's hard to come back from that too. it's really yeah. hard to come back but a nice example is uh oliver who top eight had actually lost round one so mm -hmm. he actually just got uh really unlucky playing into, I think, uh, Briarmere. I think he played, might have played to Donkey or something like that, one of our other locals. And he just actually just started the day as, as one. And I remember he was telling me that he had to, like, exit the room, kind of breathe in, breathe out, like, stay <laughs> calm. Like, breath, you need to stay yeah. calm. A, a lot of people who have not gone to one of these big tournaments will, like, tilting is super, super common. Like, people yeah. get, like, tilt out of their mind and they just get super angry to themselves, maybe to their opponent or whatever. Like, oh, I got super unlucky, everything hates me, whatever. It's very, very important to course correct earlier rather than later. And so prepping your, it sounds weird, prepping your attitude, but it's, it's really just prepping your mindset to be 
really focused on, hey, if I'm if I happen to lose, I need to like I'm not out of I'm not out of contention yet. You need to like take a step back, remember your game plan. You got a bit unlucky, but everyone gets a bit unlucky sometimes. Yeah, I not mean even, the, the not mental. Even, now that you mentioned the mental, yeah. right? Uh, in esports, is an example where they actually have like psychologists mental on boom. scene. Yeah. They have people yeah. there to help out the players because it's so taxing to play for X amount of hours per day. Um, you know, under constant duress because it's you know like whether you're playing an FPS or like a MOBA or something like it's a lot of you know just on the spot thinking. Um, same with card games, right? Maybe not as like <laughs> as like crazy, but you know um, the mental is an important factor and you really have to pay attention to it before going into an event, right? Like make sure you have the food and water and make sure that you do um, really be conscious of it because it will eat you up yeah. subconsciously if you're not, if you're not paying attention. So uh, yeah, very no. good point. Yeah. Yeah. People, people just don't go XO in a lot of these tournaments. Like people very rarely, like maybe one or two people will ever just go XO in one of these yeah. big tournaments. Uh, I actually want to ask, Yuki, very quickly here. How was your mental during that? It's just out of curiosity. I mean, you de you definitely, I know you did very well in draft, but you you were at XO and CC. So how how were you able to kind of re rejig yourself uh, after those kinds of losses to bring yourself back up to like a, a winning mentality? Right. So I actually lost round two to to mm. Guy on on Kano, um, which is obviously not where you want to be. But again, like kind of going into the event, I had kind of done the math and and I knew that if you're x3 you you're locked for top eight mm -hmm. um, and often knowing that's kind of nice and just understanding like you're you're gonna lose some rounds it's probably gonna yeah. happen like New Zealand Nats just happened everybody lost rounds in that in that event Matt Rogers yep. Nick Holding everybody who made the top mm -hmm. eight lost nobody was XO so you know obviously the later you lose the better but just understanding that like you have a few games to give I think is helpful yeah. Um, and it's part of the reason it kind of ties into my my goals going into an event is just to play well and make sure that I'm making good decisions as much as possible. And if I ever catch myself like getting tilted either because I lost or or maybe because I made a really bad play, um, I'm just like, oh, that was, you know, that was a misplay. That was so stupid. Um, I try and kind of recenter and be like, well, what do I do from here? Like, how do I get yeah. back into this game? How can I like that's happened? focusing on it's not going to help me what do i need to do to to win this game or to you know win my next game so that i'm able mm -hmm. to get, be in this yeah. and you know going into day two i was um i was x and three already I, I knew i had to win out i had to go 3-0 in order to to top eight and, and that's a lot of pressure but just kind of taking it one step at a time i'm gonna draft the best deck that i can draft i'm mm -hmm. gonna just play really tight make good decisions yep. and that's that's kind of all you can do right like you you might win you might lose but if you if you make the best decisions then you'll that you can you'll be giving yourself the best odds possible and that's kind of what you're going for um, mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah just kind of focusing on that like step by step and just trying to play clean for me that's like a, a way to kind of take the take the pressure off in a way like uh, especially in top yeah. eight, i was just like i'm gonna be very intentional announce all my triggers do everything yeah. in order to, like Double judges are the judges are watching you. Be cool. Yeah, everyone, be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah just play really clean, and and that's kind of that's kind of all you can do, right? Like yeah. if you feel like yeah. you make good decisions, then you know there's no regrets. And, yeah, um, and this yeah. really ties into what you were uh, talking about earlier about just really focusing on things that you can control, right? You can control yeah. your turn. You can control how you block, how you how you attack, right? Um, but 
focusing on things that have passed or things that are to come that involve luck, I think, you know, don't make much sense for your mental. So, um, yeah, it's a very good point. Yeah, I think uh, we've kind of we've gone a little bit into CC here, a little bit into uh, setting up your expectations, your mindset, trying to keep keep everything calm and collected. So where that goes out the window is draft, because really your prep for your tournament prep for draft varies so widely depending on so many different factors to the point where it is definitely uh the parallels between that and cc in my mind are very very non-existent like there is very very uh short list of things that really carry over in, in our venn diagram of tournament prep here right <laughs> yeah. so for draft i guess <clears throat> i guess i'll start off a little bit i i happen to i think proquest was sealed so that was a little bit different uh, we're not going to be talking too much about sealed. I think that's a bit of a more rare uh, tournament structure. However, I think for sealed, it's really deck building in general is more of the skill that you need because there's there's really no other there's really no other uh, piece there because there's no luck as far as what people are passing you and sign reading and things like that. Yeah. It's whatever you get is what you get. So it's a lot more. You know, I would say it's even more luck than it is skill based. It's just you it have is. your six yeah. packs. You get and... six packs, yeah. Uh, yeah. Definitely yeah. how I felt. I think when I uh, I can talk, a, I'll talk a little bit about seal, just a little bit in case it's a thing. So in in the pro, because I, I know Yuki did it. She didn't need to. She didn't need to. Come <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't I don't know. If, uh, I don't remember if Rob was in the pro class. I was. I, I was think you might have made. I you were in the pro class. Okay, yeah. you, could, you could talk a little bit about seal too. Uh, yeah. So I ended up opening, uh, I, I was actually across from other Eric, from Quebec Eric, which was really funny. Oh, I'm yeah. like, we were checking each other's lists. Nice. And when I was opening his cards and looking at his cards, I'm like, this man, this man has an amazing old him list. And I was uh. so jealous. Anyways, um, I opened Briar, essentially. So I was, I was quite mixed. And I had three very average pools for old him, Lexi, and, Bri and Briar. And I was just like, wow, these are all incredibly average. Like there was no yep. key, no key majestics. No, I had a sting of sorcery, which is not like, which it's is not a signal to go briar. Yeah, honestly. it's not. <laughs> it's okay, but it's not, yeah. uh, not anything to write home about. It's, it's a decent card, but not a deck builder card kind oh. of thing. Mm -hmm. It's not like Channel Lake or like Oak It Old or something like that. Yeah. And I had very average pool across the board. I was counting my, generally my approach to seal is, uh, count your element cards first. Count your earth. Count your. Uh, this is for tails. Just uh, this does does right. change based on the right. Yeah. Uh, count your resource slash element. So I consider the element cards a resource cards because they're mainly for fusing. Yeah. So count all your element cards. Do you have more earth strong earth cards? Do you have a lot of earth blues. Maybe Ultim is your choice. Do you have a lot of lightning blues? Maybe Lexi Briar is your choice. Uh, a lot of different kind of resources. Count how many actual resources you have: blue cards, red cards, and yellow cards, and then count your power cards your power cards are the ones that are going to turn the tempo the ones you take damage for the ones that you really really want in the hand to finish the game and then you count your auxiliary cards and i count the auxiliary cards as something like reactions uh lightning press sigil of sufferings things right. like that that take the edge off like you could actually steal a win here and there which i actually ended up stealing a win off a of sigil of suffering like in one of the earlier rounds it felt super great he wasn't very impressed but i felt very great uh, once I won off a sigil of stuff. <laughs> and so those are kind of the cards that they're not going to win you the game usually, but it'll be very, very important. Uh, overall, that ended up being an extremely average Briar deck because Briar doesn't need as many good cards to be a good deck, whereas Lexi is 
complete opposite. I feel like Lexi is the one where you need a good pool you to have a good arrows. Lexi deck, yeah. period. Yeah. I had one yellow overflex, and that's it. That's so right. Lexi was <laughs> off the board, period. Uh, had like one chilling ice faint. It was not that good. And old him, I was lacking the blue earth cards. Mm-hmm. I didn't have that. My ice pool was decent, actually, which is why I actually kind of considered old him. But having a good ice pool, is, in my view, was not nearly as important as having a good earth pool in old him for the D-React, since that two block, especially for Rosetta Thorn, is extremely important to actually help you withstand that. And ended up taking the Briar. Um, very arcane based because I did have Sting of Sorcery. So I tried to deal as many, a lot of Bramble Sparks, a lot of Fusing. So it was like an Earth with a little bit of Lightning. So that's how generally I approach Sealed from like a, a resource power auxiliary kind of curve. Yeah. And that generally works pretty well for me in Sealed. Uh, I, I, Rob, I, I don't know how if how much it differs yeah. for you. But... I, I'm basically just going to echo your thoughts because like when you're going into Sealed, it's a lot of cards at once, actually. You're kind of looking at like mm. a pile of cards. So you have to be quick in knowing in which pools cards fit into and then what pools mm-hmm. lead you to what heroes. Um, like you said, mm-hmm. Earth and uh, Ice Blues, you know, for old him, of course, because you're mostly going to swing with your hammer or like, you know, uh, block or use your ability, right? Um, and yeah, I think just identifying the pools um, and being able to put cards into pools quickly is a great skill for Sealed. Yep, no, I definitely think. And that's that's all we're going to talk about for Sealed, because yep. Sealed totally depends <laughs> on what set you're talking about. Like, Tails is such a specific set, and so we're going to yeah. leave that alone. And we're going we're gonna to move on to probably the, in my mind, the most difficult tournament preparation format there is, which is Draft. And for Draft, especially for our Nationals, most of the Nationals that were around that time, the only true way to learn how to draft is to draft a lot uh, draft the set a yeah. lot which feels very like yeah eric obviously don't be don't be dumb that's obviously <laughs> the way to learn but it's not just drafting a ton of games uh drafting a, a ton of uh tournaments it's also how you draft how you look at draft and what you're trying to learn from draft and i think that's the key point actually forcing yourself to learn as much as you can about things like uh signals are very important it's like an acquired skill yeah. i feel like very very few people just come into the game and automatically know they just kind of uh, a lot of newer players they focus on hey i got this really strong card let's just build a deck pack one pick two yeah and uh then i look at it and be like that's not actually it's an m but it's uh, it's like a force of nature or something like that it's like i don't think you're gonna win off that force of nature but maybe but it's it's very they look at hey, this is a strong card for my own deck, and let's just leave it at that. And then they just get punished based on the fact that there's two Briars next to them and they didn't really realize it. Or there's a Briar, especially mm-hmm. uh, uh, pack one, pick uh, pack one, pack three, right? Because you're passing in the same direction. If that player next to you passing to you is in the same hero as you, you're, you're in some dire straits here because that's yeah. generally the idea, which is the first thing I want to talk about is signaling because this is something that i think yuki can add a ton of value here because she's obviously better at signaling than i have because i'm very stubborn that's not <laughs> i am too uh, <laughs> yeah um i i generally the, the draft portion i did play i ended up going 2-1 which was okay uh but signaling wasn't as much of an issue because people were like i think the people in my pod were kind of throwing up random cards at random times i actually the signals were all over the place but in yuki it's a lot more relevant because she played more drafts however I think signaling is the first topic. What I mean by signaling is in your pod of eight. Generally, it'll be eight. Sometimes in your armory, it might be six six or seven. But generally, in a pod of eight, it's like the perfect pod. There will be seven other players passing cards. And you'll be passing 
uh, clockwise, counterclockwise, clockwise. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, right, left, right. I think. Uh, left, and so left, right, left, left, right, left, sorry, yeah. left, right, left. Yeah, clockwise is left. Sorry, I, I'm directionally challenged. Um, <laughs> and uh, you should see me driving. And so the point is that for signaling, it's very important, first of all, in my view, to know what the to know what these people are drafting, or try to figure out by pack two. So by pack one, you'll know what the person who's passing to you is probably drafting, just based on what half of the pod is passing to them, right? Because you have three players plus them passing one direction, and you have three players on the other side passing directly to you on the other pack. And so what that ends up being is in pack one, you focus on essentially what is your most likely pool of cards for the majority of the draft, pack one and pack three, right? So I think the main, the main point I'm trying to make here is that your pack one is actually more important than people give it credit for because generally by pick uh for me it's usually about pick four or five i'm almost always locked in sometimes I, I i flex a bit for pick two and pick three so uh on the draft i think in uh nationals my pack one pick one was actually a turn timber uh it was a red turn timber i believe which is a uh, to me it was a very very strong card the pack in general is pretty weak red turn timber is never weak <laughs> in, in oldham mm -hmm. very very strong card but my pack one pick two was a red weave lightning. And I'm like, oh God, <laughs> I'm getting punished. But how could I be punished? They're both extremely strong cards. There were some other good cards in the pack, but red weave lightning wins games. That, that card will win you games. It's a very mm -hmm. good card, very similar to like a weave ice. It will win you games. And so I picked up the weave, uh, the weave lightning. Uh, a couple picks next, I see more and more lightning cards, which was a signal to me that Briar is more open than Oldham because I saw one blue earth card in the next four picks. And that was yeah. very obvious. And the pod you, the pod was actually three Oldhams. I actually played three Oldhams in that draft. I played Ugh. Oldham into Oldham into Oldham. So I played all three of them. And so I was able to determine that, yeah, turn timber turn timber is a hell of a drug, but uh Weave Lightning's a bit stronger. So that's kind of my that's the only experience I could draw. I only drafted one. Well I drafted like a side draft. It doesn't really count. So I think uh Yuki as far as signaling goes, the the Lexi Master herself here. It's it's a bit of a weird topic, but do you have any kind of advice for the people looking to, when they're prepping for the draft portion of their tournament, how to practice reading signals? How how to practice reading signals and giving signals, which right. is which is also like a bit of a skill that could come in handy. Right. So I think a lot of signaling comes down to your card evaluation and understanding like what what an ideal version of each deck looks like um and, and keeping in mind like sometimes there might be multiple builds like um mm -hmm. old him can be more smack like, earth and defensive or he can be more like often ice and aggressive yeah. or, or even earth and aggressive um yeah. but just understanding like what are the key cards for that and um seeing those premium cards getting passed to you is often is often kind of what we're looking for in signals it's about the cards that you're seeing and sometimes the cards that you're not seeing um, so, for example, Tails always has two commons of each class. Um, it can have more if there's like foils and, and things like that, but there's always at least two of each class common. So sometimes, sometimes if you notice a class common missing early, that can be a great signal. You go, well, there's only one mm. Briar card here. And that does happen sometimes. Like people really like Briar and you're like, well, somebody picked Briar in the first like one or two picks. 
I don't really want to fight with them, so I'm going to, you know, steer more towards Oldham or, or Lexi. So some, the, the pack collation is quite helpful. Um, another one is, like, I think that a lot of players run into trouble where they, they latch on and they're like, well, on my third pick, I got past a Red Weave Lightning, so therefore Lightning has to be open, and, and so I'm, I'm the Lightning draw. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, like, it's, you're on the right track. That Red Weave Lightning is a signal, but your signals are often like over a number of picks and keep in mind that like just because there's a red weave lightning like maybe there was a foil red weave lightning or maybe mm -hmm. there was like a majestic in there of some sort or maybe they took like a ball lightning or a mark of lightning like there's, there's other lightning cards they could have taken over it that mm -hmm. would still be correct mm -hmm. and so you know i'd probably take the weave lightning there it's very good and i'd probably go okay i got past a red weave lightning pack three what am i seeing pack four is it more lightning cards? Because if it is, that, that kind of reinforces that signal. It's like, oh, I'm getting a similar signal again. So that's mm -hmm. I put more weight on that. Whereas if I go and I go, well, I got this red weave lightning, but there's not that much lightning. I'm just going to take the strong card from the next pack. So that's a lot of like staying open. It's just kind of often just taking the best card at the start uh, of each pack. Like, like the first four picks, I'm usually just looking for power. I want mm -hmm. the best card that I can get. And then I want to, um, I want to like give myself as many options as I can to to bob and weave in the draft and, and adjust accordingly. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that I really recommend for tournament prep is when it comes to those higher rarity cards, especially the majestics, but but even the rares, you don't get to play with them as much. Uh, draft them really aggressively. I drafted like the first time. That I sat down and drafted, I was like first, like almost first picking um, Frostlock and light it up. Not because I thought it was correct. I, I was almost certain that it was wrong, um, mm -hmm. but I wanted to know how good those cards are, right? right? Like if you look at a card and you're like, how good is this? If you played with it, it's a lot easier to have that lightweight. So often those mm -hmm. M's, like any chance I get to play with it when I'm prepping, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and play with it um, and just and just get a feel for it. And, mm -hmm. and you might learn that light it up is not very good like you'd probably just rather have a frazzle um, mm -hmm. on the other hand blossoming spellblade that card is absurd and i think that you know you can mm -hmm. completely uh base your deck around that card and just and just win off of that card it basically you know gives you the defensive old time matchup all on its own you can just win off the back of that card alone so there's a wide range on these majestics and often like coming in with the perspective of I want to know how good these cards is rather than I want to win this draft is is mm -hmm. really important when you're when you're preparing for a big event um, yeah it's more I, about I the, totally... the learning and the card interaction right? yeah yeah I, t I totally like echo that as far as like knowing the cards I think the second the second point I want to like put on top of that is try your best to draft all the heroes from the set I know yeah. People, there's some heroes like I really don't didn't like drafting Lexi. I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you, everyone knows this, but yeah. oh man, did I force it uh, in some of these drafts? And that led me to understand what exactly I need for Lexi in an actual scenario to make her as strong. And I realized that the card pool not only needed to just be good in general for Lexi in the pod, right? Because sometimes some boxes just don't have great Lexi cards in it, right? So I realized that you needed not only a good Lexi pool, uh, if you were fighting with another Lexi, your chances were yeah. exponentially lower. Like being the only Lexi is is miles better than the, the, the second or God forbid third Lexi. 
Uh, and so I realized that you needed X numbers, X number of buffs, overflexes, ice quakes, things like that, because your dominate is not very good if your arrows are coming in for five. That's just how it is. You need a lot of good arrow cards. Chilling Ice Fane is the best arrow card that you can grab uh, effectively. Like you'll get multiple copies. It's Chilling Ice Fane. It just is, right? And the sooner that you realize that in draft, the better it is in an actual situation where, hey, you happen to be in the very fortunate point of being the only Lexi drafter in your pod. Congratulations, but you've never played Lexi before. Yeah. So this is awkward for everybody as you stumble through a whole bunch of cards and hope that you're fusing the right ones. And so, I mean, that was, of course, the situation for Yuki, as explained on our uh, check out those videos if you haven't already for uh, a tournament recap and such. But that that was the situation. She played a, a good chunk of Lexi, obviously, and, and she knew how to use it properly. But I would encourage people to try at, at least once. Try every hero at least once to get a feel for it so that if you're in the situation where you're the only one drafting it, you can actually capitalize on it because I can't. I can't tell you how many times that I saw all these Lexi cards and I'm just like, yeah. I know deep down in my gut, I want to grab this red overflex, even two red overflexes. Mm -hmm. And then I see zero chilling ice veins and I'm like, nope, there's someone else on Lexi for sure. Like I, I, I can <laughs> yeah. see those picture class cards are being taken and it's just like, no, nah, I don't want to fight over Lexi. And so I think it's kind of important to also look at the card, like pick the cards, as Yuki said, those Majestics and things like that to actually know if they are the, uh, the, pack one pick one like the pulses in my view like pulse of candle hood cannot candle hold not sorry not pulse of candle eisenloft pulse mm -hmm. of eisenloft i'm i'm building old him i'm probably yeah. building it's just it's too good of a card uh Volthaven, less so but still a very good card yeah uh you won't know if there's such so such good cards unless you play with them and so that's kind of the reason if you combine snap picking different cards and then playing all the heroes combined you'll have a good overall view to give you the tools that whatever um uh, whatever you get so as they say uh pick your seat not pick your seat uh draft your seat uh what draft your seat means is essentially whatever is open in the seat you've played everything you have a good overall kind of view whatever is past you you can play uh at least semi-effectively like mm -hmm. you don't have to be a god at old him to Play, play a mean old one. You could just fatigue people out, right? And so it kind of really depends. I think the last point of draft that I just want to touch on briefly is that for other than the, the reps and the card picks and the signals and what have you, is that know the set you're drafting uh, at least to the point where you've looked at the card list. This seems really it seems really like an odd thing to say. It's like, why would you look at the card, the card list if it's not like a constructed building, like a as part of your prep, like, why do you really need to know all the cards? The reason is that different sets have different power levels for different cards. Tails and Monarch have a lot more Majestics than Welcome to Wraith and Ark, which it, it, seem, it seems a little bit weird, but if you happen to be drafting Welcome to Wraith or Ark, there's only two Majestics a box, and those majestic, Majestics are generally very powerful on average, whereas a lot of the Majestics and Tails are just... Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. And then Monarch, same idea, is like... Every time I see a, every time I saw a Levia Majestic in draft, I just shit yeah. it over to the That's line. right. <laughs> it's just like Shadow of Blasphemy. Uh, I'll take the comp. Thank you. I'll take the uh, Rally the Rear Guard Red, please. Thank mm. you. And so, knowing the set in general and knowing the the cards, even if you've never seen them before, at least read them, and and you don't have to be sitting there like reading the card and then evaluating because time is still of the essence because you only think I get officially it's like 45 seconds or 55. I think they tell you when to pick and pass yeah. in these big events. And so 
practicing your timing and drafting is also important, which sounds a little bit strange because a lot of people just draft unlimited time, right? But actually at these higher level events, drafting is also timed. And so knowing the cards and a co combination of all that is also quite important. And so I think, I think we've kind of gone through CC and draft kind of this. I can add a little to draft. Um, sure. Yeah, I can add a little bit there. Um, I, I agree that kind of emulating the, the circumstances you're going to be playing in is really important. So like maybe think about doing a time draft or even more importantly, like practice not looking at your picks between. Like if you're starting out and you're just drafting the set the first time, I'll often look at my picks because I want to figure out like what does my deck look like? What am I doing here? But mm -hmm. when I'm getting closer to the event, I'm trying to emulate what I'm going to be doing. Um, and the same thing for CC, you were, you were talking about like practice playing timed rounds, same thing. You, you, you're trying to emulate what you're going to be doing. Um, but back to draft, uh, one of the things that I think really helps that kind of ties in with Eric's idea of like knowing the set is also having an idea of, like if you're figuring out how to draft each hero, what does that deck look like? Like you should ideally have a rough sketch in your head. For example, uh, for Lexi, I know that I want about eight blues. I probably want around like 10 to 15 arrows uh, mm. with some good reds in there. I probably want about six or seven pumps. And I probably want to have about like, ideally eight to 12 lightning cards. So, so some kind of mix like that. And then I kind of have an idea like, okay, well of those, like there's not that many pumps, there's overflex. And then most of the pumps are rares, like weave and Icequake or rare. So those are actually like the highest priority is I need mm. to get those pumps to be able to beat old him. And I have mm -hmm. to prioritize those cards. And if I'm not seeing those cards, I'm not going to be able to draft Lexi. Um, mm -hmm. And, and you know, on the other side, if you look at old him, like a lot of old him decks want like 15 to maybe even 20 blues and, and a bunch of blue earth cards. And if you're not, so, so you have to prioritize those blues, right? Mm. You, you know, like half my deck has to be the blues. I need to get this count up there. So I need to take blues aggressively they're they're not as replaceable because i need so many of them and i think mm -hmm. just like having a like a rough outline of like here's what i'm looking for here's what i need is super helpful because then when you do get to that review stage of your draft after pack one you can kind of look through and go well i already have like if i'm drafting lexi i already have four blues i can probably pick up four blues somewhere that's not going to be too hard i don't really need to take good blues i really need to be prioritizing like Maybe I need to get some more arrows. I only have two arrows. That's not great. I need to really focus on getting some arrows. And understanding what you're looking for and like what that deck looks like is super important. And I think this is where you can help your your friends too. Like, um, if there's a hero I haven't drafted as much, but I know that somebody I'm testing with loves drafting that deck and, and does really well with it, I'll ask them, like, can I see your deck? And kind of lay mm. it out and be like, what are the key cards? Like, what are... What, what makes you want to get into this deck? Uh, what do you feel like the general composition is? What are you looking for when you're building this deck? And just like having a, like, of course you're not going to get the same deck every time, but having yeah. a kind of roadmap of where you're headed is is huge and, and one of the most important things you can do in drafting. And, and of course it's going to change. Like the more you draft the set, the more you might go, actually, like, if I include more of this instead of this, that's better. And and so you'll kind of like update your your picture, or your roadmap in your head. But um, but I think that that's like one of the biggest things you can do. Um, and anybody looking to kind of go next level with this is you can you can actually build these archetypes and kind of sketch them out uh, for each deck. Be like here's here's like the arcane damage briar. 
here's the earth damage buyer and just kind of list it out and build those archetypes and even d discuss it with a friend and, and see where where do you agree where do you disagree and that can give you a great idea of like here are the key cards here's mm -hmm. what i'm looking for to get into that archetype and and, and that's what signaling is right like you, you realize like i'm seeing all the cards that go into this deck so <laughs> i can probably get this deck um so yeah, the, the clearer an image you can have in your head of what you're trying to get towards, the easier it is to actually wind up there. Yeah, um, it's kind of one of the key skills for draft picking. That's that's totally fair. Just use use everything in your disposal, essentially, and yeah. it's it's a matter of uh, <laughs> no, nobody knows everything to such a high level that it's gonna be like, oh, they don't need help. They're just just yeah. got it everything but uh and you're not expected definitely... to with the limited amount of time you have right it's more like you're focusing on a certain hero because you like playing that hero and you're going to try the other ones but you're likely going to have someone at the table who's an expert at a certain hero that you can kind of piggyback off of and it's that collabor yeah. collaboration that really helps you a lot because you can't draft every hero 10 times <laughs> right no um, it's it's yeah. fair like my 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 main hero was briar i had at least 15 reps in draft briar or something mm -hmm. like that and i had about three in old him and maybe two in lexi just yeah. to, just to know that if i was the only person i would ended up taking mainly i think i took briar in draft kind of thing uh just in general because out of all the power levels nothing was obvious and that was the one i was most comfortable with which is totally fine it's it's just a matter of kind of combining uh those pieces together and so I think we've uh, I think we've given everyone a very nice yeah. template for their tournament prep for their uh, I think they could use even the drafting for the upcoming Welcome to Race Invitational events. Uh, feel free to uh, use use everything we've we've talked about for those events for ProQuest events for CC Pro Tour events whatever those look like might be another combination event. Uh, we're not gonna really go into Blitz that much because the next skirmish season isn't for a little while most likely. Uh, Blitz also has less less prep that you can do other than a lot of what the same things in cc minus yeah. the sideboard i mean what we i'll could say do is another yeah blitz is basically like you board. build one small deck and make it do one thing very well and just hope that yeah. that can overpower other decks <laughs> that's yeah. pretty much how blitz goes counter yeah counter strategies yeah. aren't relevant if you don't have yeah. a sideboard so you just kind of have your matchups <laughs> you know how to play them and well we can go into more detail later on once it becomes more relevant yeah 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 so if people want like a super super nice like Blitz, a uh, very similar Blitz one, we can do one, but for now, I think these are the big ones that people have been asking for and people would appreciate the help on. So I hope everyone enjoyed that uh, run through of the tournament prep with uh, with Yuki, of course, practicing uh, very hard for the upcoming ProQuest season, I guess I'll call it. I'll, I'll mm -hmm. call it the Pro season because I guess the Pro Tour is also counting that in April. Right, yeah. Um, and so if, if everyone, if you liked content please feel free to like comment and subscribe if you like my uh my bootstrap uh rob impression of my i don't have a basement but here's my un <laughs> my unframed posters of Kasai and Benji feel Very free to beautiful. also like comment and subscribe um I will get I will get frames eventually fundraiser so, for for Eric to get some frames <laughs> <laughs> go go fund me for some frames yeah. that would be pretty funny uh if anyone has any suggestions about ways to improve the videos or any suggestions on uh what what kind of topics they're looking for in the future uh sooner rather than later we're going to try to push out our, our february schedule is, is getting a bit a bit packed but we'll try to fit in everything that people kind of request uh feel free to take a look at our spotify this video will be on the, the audio transcribe will be on spotify for people who prefer to listen to this uh just the audio version also feel free to check out our twitter for any announcements such as that and so with that appreciate everyone who's watched 
this uh, video as long as they did really warms my analytics and my heart, everything yeah. combined. <laughs> and so with that, everyone have a good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are. Bye for now. See ya.